John chapter 3, verse 22 says this. After this, which this is uh, like the classic John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he's talking to Nicodemus. After this, in his, he, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, that's John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, that's his disciples, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. They're talking about Jesus. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I have said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride, he starts talking metaphorically, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, uh, that was John the Baptist. Now, John the author is going to give us some comment on what just happened. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He, Jesus, bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he, this is like all kinds of metaphors here, but stay with me. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son, that's Jesus, and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I have to pray again, sorry. Jesus, thank you for your word. And I was just struck, I haven't seen this before, where it says Jesus was with his disciples baptizing. And and so we just ask that Jesus, you would be with us, your disciples, like right now, that by the power of your spirit, like the very presence and spirit of Jesus would be with us as we we study and look to your word. Come, we want to be with you, Jesus. We just picture ourselves sitting at the feet of Jesus as we study your word. So come now, be with us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. One of the most, if not the most beautiful act in life and in like stories is sacrificial love, okay? Probably the most beautiful thing you could see in in real life or even in like a movie or a story or literature is sacrificial love. Not just love, but like sacrificial love love. Like we all, no matter who you are, honestly, no matter where you're from, what religion, whatever you believe, we all recognize beauty when someone says, do you know what? I will decrease so that someone else can increase. We're all like, oh, that's awesome. We, no matter who you are, no ma- we recognize that's beautiful. 
when someone says, you know what, I will give of myself that somebody else could benefit. Uh, even in life, I'm sorry for all the mother metaphors, but my wife's about to have a baby. And so I've just been thinking about motherhood. And uh, I was just struck, like moms are awesome. Like moms are ridiculous. Just by nature, they give up their time. Many of them give up their jobs, even their careers. They give up their own body as it once was, and they carry a baby. And then they give year after year of year, literally of themselves, not, they're not benefiting, they're like losing, they're being depleted for the sake of another. Like when you look at a mom, you're like, wow, we should all honestly just thank, yeah. text your mom, thank your mom, mom, you are awesome. Moms are amazing. And we recognize that is beautiful, that a mother would give of herself for the benefit of another. Uh, I'm, I really am into movies and film and, uh, and literature. And so uh, there's just various like powerful, I, I'm not really emotional and I don't really cry, but the, probably honestly the closest I get is when some hero in some story gives of themselves. And I don't know why this one stuck with me, but you guys seen Inside Out. I didn't even love Inside Out. But remember when Bing Bong the elephant? You guys, I won't say, I'm just saying, if you haven't seen it now, it's, this is your fault. When he gives his life and you're like, no, Bing Bong, what are you doing? And he's just in the abyss of memories and you're just, no. Um, okay, here's another one. This is more obscure, but uh, have, has anybody seen The Iron Giant? You guys, oh, it's a robot, but you're like, oh, the robot, and he's just like going into space. If you haven't seen it, you're like, you guys, okay. Um, but probably similar metaphor. How about this? This one's a little more sappy, but you know, in the Titanic, where Leonardo is just like in the water, just shaking, and then he just fades away. Maybe you guys don't like them. I don't know, but that, that's moving to me still. And then, okay, here's maybe my ultimate one. If you've seen Lost, and when Charlie on his hand just says, not Penny's boat, and then the moment, and if you guys don't know, I just, you guys, nothing gets me. Like seeing Charlie's hand in the little window under the water. Uh, if you don't know, I kind of ruined it, but it's beautiful. Sacrificial love you guys, moves us deeper than like probably anything else when, when we, we see someone give of themselves. Now listen, to follow Jesus is to say with John the Baptist, you know what? Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Inherent in following Jesus is to be able to say, do you know what? I will sacrifice of who I am. I will decrease, and I want Jesus to increase. And that's, that's pretty awesome, right? Like, we get to play some part in this story of, like, the person who says, I'll lay down my life, and I want Jesus' life to be lifted up, and I want to give everything I am and have. I want to decrease so that Jesus can increase. And the, kind of the context of what's going on here is uh, John the Baptist had like a really good thing going. He was famous. He had this ministry. It was bumping. All kinds of people were seeing him. He's baptizing people. And all of a sudden, this other guy comes, and he starts getting more popular, Jesus, right? And then on top of all that, if that's not enough, then Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I want to do that too. And so Jesus starts baptizing with his disciples like right across the way. And, and John says, everyone, or his disciples say, everyone's going to him. So you're like, you used to be this popular, awesome ministry, and then all of a sudden, everybody's going to Jesus now, who didn't even start the baptism thing, and everyone's like, and so John's disciples say to him, like, are you okay with this? Jesus is over there. Everybody is going to him. And in that setting, 
when John's ministry is like fading away, John says maybe you guys, the most profound words ever spoken about life and following Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And I think it's really profound that uh, the context of this statement, I must decrease, is in, is in the context of ministry jealousy. I just think that's really interesting. The context of ministry jealousy. Uh, my buddy Travis pointed out to me, you guys know what the first uh, reference to jealousy is in the Bible? It's in the context of worship. When Cain and Abel are presenting their sacrifice to God, that's the first case of jealousy, and it leads to murder. And probably throughout all of the Old Testament, especially Genesis, jealousy like ruins families. I just think it's really interesting. There's something about worship, something about ministry that it brings out like this jealousy. It brings this thing out where it's like, I want to increase. I want people to notice me. I want people to notice me worshiping and I don't want them to notice them worshiping. And we we wouldn't say that out loud, but like that is in us. We're just like John's disciples. We're just like Cain. And you know, when, when his disciples say, all are going to him, can you like, if, could you be honest and res- say like, yeah, I, I felt that. Like, man, s- people are noticing them. People are noticing, maybe it's like that church or people are noticing that ministry. I really like this, but like, why are they into that? I'm, are you maybe jealous of maybe the way someone else worships God? That's just really interesting. Have you ever like felt jealousy in the way someone else worships God? Or even in, have you ever been jealous of someone else's relationship with God? Have you ever felt jealousy there? Have you, have you ever been jealous of the way some people get to like display their gifts in ministry? Like, but I could do that. And like, what people are noticing them. Do you ever honestly feel like, why is God like noticing or blessing them and not me? And so the disciples are feeling this and they come to John and I'm sure they're expecting John to be like, yeah, this is crazy. And listen to what John says. He, he starts speaking in this metaphor. It's, it's like really random kind of at first because they're like, what, what's going on? And then he starts talking about a wedding, right? And he starts talking about a bridegroom and a bride. And what he says here is, do you know what? How twisted would it be for a best man on the day of the wedding to try and like steal the bride from the groom? Like how, how honestly twisted is that? And that's what he says. He's like, do you know what? I'm like the best man and Jesus is the groom. And how crazy would it be for me to want the bride and try and take it from the groom? And he's saying, no, it's the the opposite should happen, right? Like the best man's job is like, man, when I see the husband and wife getting married, like I'm just full of joy. And I'm like, yes, this is awesome. And I need to do everything I can to like protect and bless and support this relationship. And how twisted would it be for us to try and rob the groom of his bride. And it's the same thing, you guys, with ministry and us. Do you know what our job is? Our job is to get people to fall in love with Jesus. Like he's the groom. And how crazy when we try and take attention away from Jesus, like, no, love me instead. Like our job is to be the the bridegroom and try and arrange meetings with people in Jesus. That is like why we exist in many ways. I live so that people could like meet the groom and like they could finally fall in love and worship him. And how twisted if we are like, no, I want their attention. 
I want the attention of the bride, the, 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 the body of Christ, the church. I don't want Jesus to have attention. And so John says, listen, I'm okay with this. This is my job. And so he says, he must increase, I must decrease. Now, that context is ministry and ministry jealousy, and it's profound there. But those words, he must decrease, I must increase, opposite. Yeah, he must increase, yes. Is not just for ministry, and it's not just for ministry jealousy. Those words should be placed over, like, your life. Like, the purpose of your life is that Jesus would increase, and that I would decrease. Now, John the writer is telling us this story in, you know, verses, where are we at? Verses 22 to 30, he tells us a story, and then John the writer starts commenting on that story in verse 31. And at first, when I was reading it and looking at it, I'm like, this is so random. He must increase in baptism. And then he starts talking about he who comes from above and he belongs to the earth. And like, I'm like, what is going on? But what John, the writer, is doing in verses 31 to 36 is applying John the Baptist's statement to life. He's applying John the Baptist, I must decrease, to all of these things. And he essentially applies it to three things from verse 31 to 36. I'll tell you what they are, and then we'll look at them together. He applies them to three things. He applies the concept that Jesus must increase and I must decrease to the word of God. He applies that to the spirit of God. And number three, he applies that to obedience to God, okay? That, if I could sum up verse 31 to 36, is this. Jesus must increase through the word of God, Jesus must increase through the spirit of God, and Jesus must increase in our obedience to God. So we're gonna, that's essentially our points. We're gonna look at one, two, and three. So number one, the word of God. Jesus' word must increase, and our own ideas must decrease. Okay, and look, I'll show you verse 32. This is what he says. He's talking about Jesus. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is what? True. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent, Jesus, utters what? The words of God. So what he is saying here is Jesus is sent from heaven and he knows everything. And he has been sent on a mission And he's to reveal who God is, that God is true. And he starts speaking and gives a testimony and he gives the words of God. And then he says, but people don't receive it. And then he says, but some people do receive it. And they recognize that when Jesus is talking, the word of God, God himself is talking. And if you even remember, John started off saying, Jesus is the word of God. Just who he is reveals who God is. And when Jesus speaks, God speaks. And our temptation, the temptation of humanity from day one, literally from day one, is to reject the word of God, to say God is not true, to say, no, God, when he said, don't bite, don't eat of that tree, he was lying. He was trying to rob you of your life. Don't listen to God's word. That is the temptation of every day. And, and here's like, like a, that's like major temptation. Here's like the next level of temptation. We may like aspects of God's word, but we may not like, we may be tempted to reject other parts of God's word, right? Like, and so, so what John the writer is saying is, can you say, Jesus, you and your word and your truth must increase 
and me and my ideas and my thoughts must decrease. Um, Francis Chan, I think most of us have heard of Francis Chan. I've said this before. He, and he just loves our generation, and he says, listen, when I look at this next generation, there is two verses of scripture that I think are most important for them. And I think this is like make it or break it. If you will make it, if you will follow Jesus, these you have to wrestle and grapple. Are you okay with these words? It's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And they're so good. I'd write them down. I'd memorize them. I'd even turn there. This is what he says. These are the words of Isaiah. God is speaking to us. And he says in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like, can you accept that? Can you accept Jesus and his words, all of it, Can you accept that God is actually higher than you and God is wiser than you and and God will say things that are against and different and not like your thoughts and not like your ways and you're like, do you know what? That's okay, you're God. Is, Is God allowed to be like up here and like you and your thoughts be down here? Or or is it like this? It's like, you know what? God's thoughts are down here and I get to be the judge of God's thoughts. So are we okay with that? Um this week, uh, I'm going to briefly mention something that happened at Westmont. Uh, so I know I recognize a lot of you guys aren't Westmont students. Um, but what happened at Westmont is profound. And it's, it's like one of many things that will happen in your life in following Jesus in our culture. Um, so a couple of days ago, if you don't know, uh, Westmont has to go to the chapel like three times a week. And uh, they bring in various speakers and pastors and whatever. So they brought in a pastor who's preaching the word of God, preaching out of Ephesians chapter 5. Um, I listened to it, and he essentially said, um, and I'll admit he wasn't like the sweetest guy, but he said, hey, listen, you need to turn from sin, and you need to turn from sexual sin, and he, he says, he mentions marriage, and he says, listen, marriage is between a man and a woman, and sex is only for that context. So he just pretty much just lays out what the Bible teaches about that. Now, like, obviously, obviously, that offended some people. Like, that's not a surprise. It's not like, we know the world that we live in. Um, and so obviously that offended some people and um, some people walked out of chapel and there's been a lot of like stir about it on social media and whatnot, various like meetings and blah, blah, blah. So this is like a relatively, I mean, I went to Westmont and this, this is a bigger deal than anything like I've seen or I know about in even Westmont's history. Um, so we probably all have different reactions based on our personalities and our walk with Jesus when we hear something like that happens. Um, but I want to tell you, here's what like concerns me most. And it may surprise you a little bit. Here's what concerns me most about what just happened at Westmont and then all the response since. We all tend to take God's qualities and pit them against each other. That's like what we all tend to do. No matter who you are, we all like have our favorite qualities of God. And then we tend to like feel like we need to defend those qualities of God against other people who like other qualities of God. And uh, we tend to take our favorite parts of the Bible and then argue with people who, who like other parts of the Bible. Um, we tend to appreciate certain aspects of God's character and truth and then not other aspects of God's character and truth. 
And uh, this, I, I watched it happen when I was looking at social media. This is primarily the conversation that was going on on social media. It was just like arguing. It was just like our, per, our current political context in America. Like you got these people and you got these people and they each have valid things that they're saying and they're just talking past each other and they don't understand each other and they're frustrated. And we do that. And listen, two particular themes I noticed came up in all of this nonsense about what happened and then this is like all the, re- all the, the, the reply. And I honestly am, I'm honestly more sad about the reply than what happened. And, and here's two themes that I noticed. Number one, people were saying, hey, listen, you either need to defend and hold on to God's love and then all these other people are like, no, you need to hold on to God's truth. And it was just two groups going like this at each other. Listen, God's love. God is love. And they're saying that's his very nature. God is love. And he loves everyone no matter what. Is that true? Yes, God is love. And he literally loves everyone. Okay, over here. God is true. And his word is true. And every page of this book is true. Right? And But here's what happens. We're like, these people are attacking these people and these people are attacking these people. And so then it comes up specifically for the issue of, say, gay marriage. What's more important, God's love or God's truth? And probably you have a reaction. I bet probably you tend to want to defend one or the other. And I just have to ask you, does God love gay people? Yes, of course he does. God loves everybody, including me. Does God speak about marriage and what marriage and sex should be? Yes, he does. It was his idea. He invented it. He literally invented sex. He knows about it. (laughs) He knows about it. God loves gay people and God has created marriage. He loves the world and he has spoken about how the world will best flourish because he created it. And we have to be able to like live in some tension of like, man, God literally loves everybody. He loves everybody and he has grace for everybody. And I, like Paul, am the chief of sinners. I am no better than any other sinner. And God is true. And he has spoken about every aspect of life, about what is sin and what's not sin and what is marriage and what is not marriage and how sex should happen. And probably some of us are very down to proclaim we're like the truth people, right? And you, you speak the truth and, and you love the truth and that is good and right. But the Bible actually does warn you that if you speak the truth in, in a certain way, you are wrong. In 1 Corinthians 8, 3, it says, we know all of us possess knowledge. And then he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So there is a way to be like, I know about God's design for marriage, and I'm going to speak it in such a way that I am being wrong. Like there is a way to take truth and use it as it is not intended as a weapon. And then others of us are so down for like grace and love for people. And we don't really like to have to confront that like, man, God actually does speak about marriage and God speaks about, honestly, you guys, he speaks about what is a man and what is a woman and how do they both flourish. God speaks to those things. He doesn't, he doesn't not think about that stuff. He, he created us and he speaks truth about every 
every, every aspect of life. And listen, you can't love someone without speaking truth to them. That's not, that isn't love. You may have affection for them, but to love someone is to love them and be willing to speak truth that they may flourish and have life. And so God's love and God's truth go together. God's love and his truth go together. Another theme that was, I was noticing is, okay, what's more important, God's concern for like human rights or God's concern for marriage? Which one's more important? Well, it doesn't work like that. Like God cares about both. God cares about every human because they are in his image and he created them and loves them. And every single human should be defended and fought for and cared for, provided for, treated with dignity and love and respect. And again, God cares about marriage. He designed it. And so we should care that people are treated well with love and with grace and with respect and with dignity and honor, even if they disagree with us. Even if they disagree with God's word, we must care for everybody and we care about human rights. And human rights and dignity are not at odds with truth. They are not at all. In fact, the very idea of justice comes from the idea of a standard of truth, what is right and what is wrong. We would not have justice if we didn't have a foundation of truth. And so both go together. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to let the word of God increase in my life and in my thoughts and in my ideas? And am I willing to let my ideas decrease? Like ideas will come that are not of the Lord and I'm gonna say, no, you must decrease. And am, am I willing to accept, this is good, what Jesus says about social justice and concern for the poor and generosity and sexuality and racism and every other issue? Am I willing to accept all of it, all of God's word? And I just, my prayer is that you would be a person who says of Jesus in his word that Jesus needs to increase and I and my thoughts need to decrease. So the first issue that John brings up is the word of God. Would we not be like those who reject his testimony? Would we receive his testimony and say, God is true? Okay, the second thing John wants to increase while we decrease is the spirit of God. Look at uh, verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, and this is crazy, for he gives the spirit, what, what does it say? Without measure. You know what that means? It means it should increase and increase and keep increasing and literally never stop increasing. That is what God wants for the Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit should never stop increasing. The Holy Spirit, that is the very Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, should increase, and you and your strength and your might and your wisdom should decrease. And I just love that. Look, at it's, it's pretty random. It almost doesn't make sense. But in verse 34, he puts two things together. And look, at he says, He whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Do you notice what goes together? The Word and the Spirit. Like a comma, Word and Spirit. God cares that his Word would increase, and he cares that his Spirit would increase. And again, I've, we mentioned this before. There are typically word people and there are typically spirit people. And that does not make sense. That is like God and his word and his spirit are, they go together. And I love that John says, man, God gives the spirit without measure. Just 
Oh, that the Holy Spirit would increase like literally right now in this room, that our worship would be filled without measure with the Holy Spirit, that your life would be just overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Like it's getting on everything. You didn't know like, why is, why is this coming out of my work? Why is it coming out here? It's just overflowing. That the Holy Spirit would increase. Do you know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? Glorify Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would increase your love for Jesus. That you would love Jesus more and more and more because the Spirit is pouring out on you more and more and more and your love for Jesus would be increasing more and more and more. Listen, do you know what else the Spirit does? Sorry about this. Satan probably. Do you know what the Spirit does? The Spirit pours out the Father's love. That, you guys, that the Spirit would increase your experience of the love of God. Like, please, Holy Spirit, keep increasing that I would know that I am loved by God just pours out his spirit without measure. The love of the father would be poured out. You guys, that your life would be filled with more miracles and more prophecies and more speaking in tongues and more interpretation of tongues. I've never even seen that, that that would happen because that's in the Bible, that the spirit would literally prophesy tonight, that the spirit would literally heal people tonight, that the spirit would literally give you the gift of speaking in tongues and that somebody else would like say, hey, this is what God is saying and our minds would be blown. You guys, that the spirit of God would increase. I know it's kind of like makes us nervous because we're like, oh, but this, I'm not in control. And what if the spirit does this? Or what if that person actually dances like the Bible talks about? That makes me uncomfortable. Listen, that the spirit, you guys, oh, that the spirit would increase. Do you know why it's good that the spirit increases? It is good because it makes us and our control decrease. Like, I like control, and I like being able to run things how I like, and I know I like being able to expect it. And that's the whole point. We and our comfort is supposed to decrease when the Spirit of God increases. Do you know what the Spirit is directly opposed to? Your strength and your might and your cleverness and your control. And God is saying, I want your strength and your might and your cleverness and your control to decrease as the Spirit of God increases. And listen, I want this for your life. And I even just want this on Friday nights. Like I want you guys, it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Like there is freedom. So if the spirit says, hey, you need to go pray for that person. And you're like, oh, like, listen, freedom. You are free to go pray for someone. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You are free to worship biblically, which includes shouting and dancing and bowing and clapping your hands and being still, that you would be free. You'd be free from like, hey, I don't dance. Like, that's not who I am. I like to be still. That you'd be free to do that. That the dancers would be like, who is this person? Like, there would be freedom to worship Jesus. Where the spirit of the Lord is that there would be freedom. You guys, that we would have freedom to literally like prophesy. What does that mean? I don't know. Is that in control? Listen, there's freedom here that to do what the Bible says that we would prophesy in our gatherings, that people would speak in tongues and then someone would interpret tonight, that people would be healed tonight. Like I, that is my prayer, you guys, that there would be freedom on Friday nights to do that. This isn't, like, this isn't like just the thing, like some routine thing we do. Like the spirit of the Lord is here. Would he increase? Would you be free to be here? That the spirit 
would increase. Our own strength and power and comfort would decrease. And then number three, the last thing he talks about is that obedience to God would increase. And our own will and our own desires would decrease. Verse 36 says, Whoever doesn't obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God remains on him. Again, like, that's how he ends. It's not inspirational, but it's the word of God. Listen, if you don't obey Jesus, you will not see life. The wrath of God for your sin is on you. That we would obey Jesus. That obedience would increase. That we would be known as like the holiest, like they're crazy, they obey Jesus. Like they actually obey Jesus. Like they actually don't abuse alcohol. They actually don't abuse substances. They actually are sexually pure inside and outside. They actually don't like cheat on their their work. They actually are faithful workers. They actually evangelize and tell people about Jesus. You guys owe that we would obey Jesus, that we would obey Jesus. That, and this is, this is kind of the hard part of Christianity. Jesus says to follow him, you got to like pick up a cross and like die to yourself. Like not just decrease a little, like die to yourself and follow me. That I would be your Lord and your master. That Jesus would be Lord and we would obey him. That we would obey Jesus, oh God, that we would obey you more and our own desires and our own temptations would decrease. Now, that is so true and important, but listen, there's a piece to obedience that is wonderful. And sometimes when we, we just hear only like obey, uh, that's not all God has. And, and John the Baptist brings some light on obedience. Look at verse 29. This is awesome. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him, hears him, what's the next word? Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's what? Voice. Meaning when the bridegroom says, hey, will you do this? What does he do? He rejoices greatly. And then he says, therefore, this what? Joy of mine is now complete. Then he says, he must increase, I must decrease. This is the point. To follow Jesus is to know the bridegroom and to be filled with joy, to hear the bridegroom's voice and be filled with joy, to hear commandments in the Bible and be filled with joy, to hear, you cannot do that, and to be filled with joy, to hear, you must do this, and to be filled with joy. Christianity, you guys, is not death to your life and to joy. It is more joy and more life. And it, it comes through a cross. Joy comes through, I will die to myself. I will decrease because I have Jesus and I have joy when I obey Jesus. And probably the greatest misconception about following Jesus is that it's about dead, cold obedience. That's not Christianity. It is to be filled with joy, to hear Jesus speak to you and be filled with joy, to say, man, that's a better way to find this treasure and say, I'll sell everything, I'll give everything, I'll lose everything that I can have Jesus. And it doesn't glorify God to obey him without joy. 
It, that's called religion. That's dead, cold religion. And God says, I hate your sacrifices when your heart doesn't love me. And listen, this is important. Last week we talked about being born again. Probably the way you know you are born again is that when you hear Jesus' voice, you rejoice. That's like how you know. When you hear Jesus' voice say, hey, you can't do that, and you're like, dude, what the heck? Who are you? It probably means your heart is dead. And like, no wonder you don't like Jesus' voice. And no wonder the world, you guys, doesn't like Jesus' voice. Like, they need a new heart. Like, why are we surprised? Why are we surprised when people are offended at Jesus' voice? You, you know you are born again when you hear the word of God, you hear Jesus' voice, and you're like, yes, that is good. That is true. Do you know how else? I love this. When I see people just get saved, um, they don't know many things. They may not know theology, but they'll hear like some teaching and, and then they'll be like, hey, is this like in the Bible? Like, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound, they don't use the words, it doesn't sound like Jesus to me. It doesn't sound like his voice because your heart just knows, recognizes the voice of Jesus. And you're like, that doesn't sound like Jesus. And then when they hear even something so hard, like you gotta lose your life, they're like, man, that sounds like Jesus. I love that voice. I love following that voice. A heart that has been born again can recognize Jesus' voice. We're sheep, we're not that smart, but we can recognize our shepherd. We're like, yep, that's what he sounds like. That's him. Or when a shepherd says, hey, listen, you don't have to do this. You don't have to like give that up. It like kind of feels good to our flesh, but there's something in us that's like, it doesn't sound like my shepherd. This doesn't sound like him. And so we, when we hear the voice of our bridegroom, of our shepherd, we rejoice. Even though it's hard and it often does feel like death to deny ourselves, to deny temptation, to say no to Satan, we find, you know, it's always at the, the end of the road of obedience is joy. That is always there. And ultimate joy. Like I'm gonna see life. I'm going to see Jesus face to face because I walked with him. Like ultimate joy is waiting for me at the end of the narrow road to obedience to Jesus. And so we see Jesus needs to increase in his word over our thoughts, that Jesus' spirit needs to increase over our power and our obedience to Jesus has to increase over our desires. And this is good. And I've like, I can, I can feel you like, yes, that's Jesus. But listen, I've only so far told you half the story, and I've only so far told you what you have to do. And listen, I haven't even told you the best part yet, you guys. Listen, Christianity is not just what you must do for the Lord. Listen, we have to say with John the Baptist, Jesus, you must increase, and I must decrease. But do you know, yes, you did know, that Jesus himself said those words to his own father, Jesus said these words because Jesus is a God who himself decreased. Jesus himself left his throne and became a baby. Like he was God and he was a baby. That's a decrease. He was fully dependent on a mother. Like Jesus was God and he was dependent upon a mother. And then he lived his life fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. And then... Jesus, the night before he died, was in a garden where he himself said to his dad, not my will, but your will be done. God, you must increase and I will decrease. And then the next day he suffered on a cross where all of the wrath for your and my sin was poured out on him. 
and he suffered the wrath of God that we deserved. And he decreased to the point of drinking that cup, the wrath of God, and he died. Jesus himself decreased. And then he would not ultimately decrease for death and the wrath of God. He was more than even that, and he rose again. And he's seated on his throne that whoever would decrease and trust him would not only be forgiven, but we would live and we would be raised with God, with Jesus, and we'd be seated on his throne and we're gonna rule and reign with him. So right now, we say, Jesus, you must increase. But the day's coming where like, we are gonna be with him on his throne. And so here's the important thing. We have to do and obey and do and, and trust him and all of that. But listen, Jesus himself did what you and I could never do. Jesus himself Pay the price for your sins. Jesus himself suffered on the cross. And so, yeah, like we have some things to do, but you guys, Jesus has done far more than anything we could ever do. We could never pay the price for our sin. We could never be forgiven. We could never be accepted or justified on our own merit. And Jesus decreased that we could be forgiven and accepted and adopted as a son or daughter of God. And so, I just want to close really quick. And um, I, as I was even just studying, like this just like came out of me. And it's just, I just am going to declare some things about who Jesus is. And I even want to like, if you invite you, if you want to like even close your eyes. And I'm just going to pray that the spirit would increase the glory of Jesus as I read these things about who Jesus is. Um, right now, I'm just going to glorify who Jesus is. Um, Jesus, Jesus' love is far better than any other love of any other person you could ever desire. And Jesus' strength is far stronger than your strength and then your weakness and then your sin and your temptation. Like Jesus is able to lead you through temptation. Jesus' power is enough to break any addiction. His power is enough to give you more faith. Jesus' power is enough to save you. If you don't even have a heart that loves him, Jesus is strong enough right now to save you. Jesus is right now seated on a throne and he's king over all kings and all presidents and all rulers. He is literally ruling and reigning. And a king or ruler cannot lift their finger or speak a word apart from permission from Jesus. And that is also true of Satan. Satan can do nothing that Jesus does not allow him to do. And Jesus will take everything Satan has ever done and will work it for good. Jesus is a shepherd who loves his sheep and pursues lost sheep and brings them home. And Jesus is the shepherd over every church that is faithful to him, over every leader and pastor and author. Jesus is, is your shepherd and he knows you. He knows all the intricacies of your life. He knows like how you limp as a sheep and he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to feed you and provide for you and protect you. His rod and his staff are enough to lead you and fight for you and guide you. And he will lead you and he knows the plans he has for you. They're already written in his book. It is no secret to him. He is in control. You are, are safe in Jesus' hands. Jesus is the rock who never changes. Jesus has never changed. 
and he has never failed, and he cannot be broken. But all things break when they come against him. Jesus is a rock, and he is a refuge for you, and in him you are safe. You can run to him, and he is stronger and safer and better protection than any other person, than money, than a career. You are safe in Jesus, who is the rock. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He existed before everything existed, and he is the last. He will never end. Jesus right now is sustaining the universe And earth is spinning because Jesus is sustaining it. And he is holding all things together by the power of his word. And he's sustaining your life. And he's sustaining your body. And he's giving you breath and your very being. Jesus is a well that never runs dry. Jesus says, come to me, drink from me. I will satisfy you. He is an infinite well of pleasure and joy and life and delight and nothing compares to joy in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who saves, whose strength and divinity was enough to pay the price for your sin, yet who was human enough to identify with you right now in your weakness. And he can say, I know what you're going through and I know what it's like and I know what it is to suffer and be heartbroken and betrayed and hungry and have a broken body. I know, but I am also God and I did something about it. Jesus, would you increase in our midst tonight? Jesus, would your word just like pierce us deep, deeper than our own soul and spirit and bones and marrow? Would you pierce us and and cut away what needs to go and lead us in truth and, and cut away any doubts and any lies of the enemy? Would your word increase tonight? Jesus, would your spirit increase? God, we ask, pour out your spirit without measure on us. Right now, would you pour out your spirit like rain from heaven, like fire from heaven? Would you help us experience in our body your presence and your joy and your love and the Father's love? Holy Spirit, would you increase? Would you heal spiritually? Would you heal physically? Would you heal emotionally? tonight. Holy Spirit, would you uh, increase in leading us to pray for one another and minister to one another and use our gifts? God, would we be bold in prayer tonight for healing, for miracles? Would we be bold tonight, Lord? Would we not quench your spirit? Please, may there be freedom tonight. Holy Spirit, would you increase? And not just tonight, would you increase in our life? Would you increase in our jobs and in our relationships and in our school and when we're alone and when we wake up in the morning, would you just increase, Holy Spirit? Please increase. And Jesus, would obedience to you increase? Would we obey you and would it be our joy to obey you? Jesus, even tonight, would we obey you in confessing our sins to one another, that we would be healed? Would we obey you? Jesus, would obedience to worship you and to humble ourselves before you increase? Jesus, would we in, increase in obedience as we leave this place and as we are tempted tonight, as our flesh is tempted by the enemy and the world tonight, would obedience to you increase? We want to obey you. We want to walk with you, Jesus. You are worth it. Your voice, when we hear your voice, it brings us joy. And Jesus, if, if someone's in here and they're like, this is insane, would you save them tonight? 
Jesus, would you give them a new heart tonight? Would, for the first time, the voice and commandments of Jesus be beautiful and bring joy and bring life and bring healing? God, even I just pray that if you would save someone tonight, that they would be bold enough to reach out to someone and say, would you pray for me? Jesus, save. Give us new hearts. Pour out your spirit. And Jesus, would we just enjoy you now as you increase we were made to decrease in the presence of Jesus. That's our joy. That's where we find life when we look at Jesus. And so would we just have fun and worship you and be full of joy and have freedom to be in your presence tonight. Jesus, increase. Would we decrease? And would you increase tonight?